1: Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily.
0: Uh, I think it's just because you, when you play in primetime, everything's magnified. So, you know, unless you're going out there and, and winning every game in primetime, which... It's difficult because if you're playing in prime time, you're probably playing against somebody that's pretty good. Um, You know, for us under Coach Zimmer, we've been pretty good in prime time games uh, over the course of the last five years. So, you know, you you do so much to try to keep your routine and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's
1: just football. You know, we're going out
0: whether we're playing at noon or seven thirty at night. You go out there and play football and you know try to be better than that team that night.
1: That, my friends, was Kyle Rudolph, Minnesota Vikings tight end on Pro Football Talks live show discussing the Vikings' struggles in primetime last season. Matthew Collar, back with you. I was off a little bit last week, as a lot of people were, and so I am back and in studio with me for the entire two hours, and we will have a Zolgad in for Hot Routes today, is Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. What is going on, Eric? I'm glad to have you.
0: It's good to be here, man.
1: Okay, let me let me just run this by you real quick. So Kyle Rudolph says that the struggles in primetime are because people are watching so they notice that you lost in primetime. Is there anything to Kirk Cousins' record in primetime? Is there like anything to that? Would you look into that or just say, I don't know, he didn't always play for the best teams or whatever it might be?
0: Yeah, I think it's more a product of when they're in prime time, they're playing better teams, and they're not as good as generally the better teams, so then they lose more.
1: (laughs) It's a real cause and effect type of uh, thing. Correlation, causation, some might say, in analytics. Um, So uh, the reason that you are here today, in part, is uh, to make an exciting announcement about me. So I don't know if you want to make the announcement or if I do,
0: yeah, I mean, uh, what, two weeks from now, uh, actually more like 10 days, you're coming to Cincinnati to do a couple shows to to look at uh, pro football focus and, and what we're like in uh, the Cincinnati area. So I'm really excited to, that is, to host uh, you there.
1: That is going to be July 17th through 19th, coming down to Cincinnati to the PFF offices. We'll do three shows from there and probably some other things, some little videos. Are we going to a Reds game?
0: I think we're going to a Reds game. The, the, hopefully they're sleeveless. This, I know. This time. I saw
1: that. was the best yesterday. That made me want in football to bring back the like Miami Hurricanes half-cut-off uniforms. Yes. <laughs> How can we get that to come back? Uh, so we're really looking forward to that. July 17th through 19th, I will be down there in Cincinnati. And uh, it's all booked and we're ready to go. So now that we have that and uh, your analysis on those um, primetime games that the Vikings struggled <laughs> in last year... I want to just start off with you. we got a lot of uh, fun things to get to here by talking about big picture on the Vikings offseason. As we march closer, only a few days away, really, from Vikings training camp. It's about two weeks away. And I've started making all of my lists uh, over the weekend. And this is the thing. Uh, People usually on July 4th go to fireworks shows. They do fun things with family members. They barbecue. I was making... Training camp lists of the most interesting players, the rookies to watch, all those different things, the guys who are on the fringe who could make the rosters. So I had a better time than you did, um, but uh, I want to kind of bring it back a little bit, though, to look at this off season in the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Because once the moves happen in a bubble, we analyze them. Okay, they drafted these players, let's analyze that. They signed this player, let's analyze that. And then we get to the end where no more moves are being made, and we're like, okay, we'll talk about it later then. But since we've got plenty of time here on Purple Daily, let's discuss this. And and the way that I'd like to do it is to go back to the final moment of the NFL season when the Rams kick a field goal and miss and lose the Super Bowl Right? Didn't they kick a field goal on the final play and miss, yeah, even Brady, though they had already
0: lost? Brady kneeled down uh, so all the betters in Las Vegas could get the Brady over one and a half carry
1: spot. <laughs> 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 but the play before that was a missed field goal, right? Like, yeah, that's it right. Was, they were
0: trying to cut the lead from 10 to 7 and then do the onside right. kick thing. Yeah, That's right.
1: Okay, so well, anyway, when Brady kneels down and it's all over, and we think about what our offseason plan was for the Minnesota yeah. Vikings versus how it turned out, I think it was very different in my mind at that moment from how it ultimately turned out, how I would have laid it out myself. But if I were predicting it, I would have predicted it to go very much like this, to bring back all the defensive players and so forth. So if we had gone back to that moment and talked about how you would have designed the Vikings offseason, where would you have started? Like, what would have been What would have been your priority list at that moment, when you knew the players that could potentially go, you knew the potential free agents and all of those things?
0: Well, I, I think the offseason the off presented an opportunity for the Vikings to act, make some tough decisions, right? Because there were issues with, you know, defensively, where you are going to bring back Anthony Barr? At cornerback, where you going to try to get younger? Um, on the offensive line, same thing, right? Riley Reif, uh, you know, so on and so forth. Obviously, you had Cousins there, but I think the 8-7-1 season sort of, like, shined a light on a lot of their issues, um, and really what they did, and as you said, it was somewhat predictable, is they sort of kicked a lot of those decisions down the road, right? Riley Reef is still their left tackle. Anthony Barr is now, you know, has a big contract, and he's playing uh, inside linebacker. Kyle Rudolph is back to being their tight end. Uh, and Xavier Rhodes, uh, despite a down-season is still their cornerback, their top cornerback. So you know, back you know, you were always, you were talking about Antonio Brown as a possibility for them as their <laughs> to anywhere. It from It has their been fir- a while first since there has been receiver. football, hasn't it? But it, the, you when know, was
1: I talking about Antonio Brown? What month was that? Was, it like uh, it was February, January or February. January,
0: February? Yeah, he was going through his like his ordeal with the uh, with the uh, Steelers that seemingly took forever. But
1: you believe how long the off season is? It's that was six or seven months ago yeah. that people were subtweeting me about Antonio Brown and yelling at me for suggesting yep. that they have three good wide receivers as if that had ever worked in Minnesota before. But anyway. you, look,
0: you look at the way the <laughs> roster is constructed now, what is that much different than the season ago? I mean, except for expectations. Last season we came in, the expectations were far higher. But really, this roster is a pretty good defense with some offensive talent, a limited quarterback, and no cap space. Like, that's exactly the same thing as they had a season ago. So... I, you know, it's predictable, right? Because that's what they're comfortable with, but it was not necessarily this collection of difficult decisions that I think you and I both wanted them to make.
1: So it's pretty clear to me that the Vikings thought going into the off season, their thought process was very different from ours where they looked at what happened last year. And they said, here's what Kirk cousins really needs. He needs clearly a couple of more offensive linemen. I think the entire nation would agree that Mm -hmm. Kirk cousins needed a couple of more offensive linemen. Maybe another weapon. And what he really needs, though, is a better scheme. He needs Kevin Stefanski. He needs Gary Kubiak in here. He needs to run a similar version of the offense that he had when he played for Sean McVay in Washington. Now, of course, that brings you to the natural question, why didn't you think of this last year? Right, I mean, when you were hiring John D. Filippo, why didn't you look for someone who had a Shanahan or a McVay-style offense to run Kirk Cousins with? Because that's what he had his most success with in Washington. But putting that aside, yep. it's very clear that their conclusion was, we should have won more last year if only Kirk Cousins had X, Y, and Z. And I guess I can see that because when you go through it with a fine-tooth comb, you find... Missed field goals. You find an inordinate number of fumbles that got recovered by the other team and potentially run back for a touchdown. You find some pick sixes. Things that are just randomness, really. Yep. And then, you know, some injuries and stuff on the defensive side, a very su- surprising and unorthodox performance by a team in, in L.A. where the offense was actually going pretty well, and, and you just lose that game in part because, shockingly, your defense melts down. And I really mean, like, totally shockingly. It's only the second time, I think, since I've covered the team where the defense had a complete meltdown, the other being Colts. 2016. Well, I was thinking the NFC Championship game. So that's, I guess, the third time.
0: Yeah, then. yeah, that's true. I forgot about that Three
1: game. times in three years, your defense has melted down completely, and it just happened to be that time. So I understand the thought process. You brought Mike Zimmer here to win with defense. So why would you say, all right, actually, we're going to strip you of a bunch of your defensive talent so we can now get Juwan James or something, right? I mean, I, I could see where they would look at that and go, I don't really think that makes a lot of sense. We just need to do more around Kirk Cousins. But had it been me, I would have said, you know this win with defense thing, sometimes it works. Yes, you got to the NFC Championship game in a year with a bizarre number of injuries at the quarterback position and a shocking drop in quarterback play in 2017 that opened the door for you, especially with your schedule to be the number one defense in the NFL and get to the NFC championship game on a literal miracle is how you got there. Actually, you got beat by Drew Brees and then had a miracle play that got you there. So the idea that you can just win with defense, it happens every once in a while in the NFL that someone gets to the Super Bowl that way. And yes, in the actual Super Bowl, it's great to have a great defense that can shut down Jared Goff. And that's a good way to win. But, building it around and investing this much money in defensive talent would not have been the way I would have gone. I, for me, it would have been, we're going to go all in on Kirk Cousins. We paid the man all this money, we brought him here, and we're going to do everything we can to support him. And if he fails, that's because of him. That's not because of what we did, yep. that's because he just didn't play well enough. And one of the things that really struck me, Eric, is when I looked at the amount of cap space positionally, that the Vikings were were spending. It's incredible that they're not one of the highest spending teams on offense, mm-hmm. but they are on defense. They have one of the biggest quarterback contracts, but they're not one of the highest spending teams on offense this year. I I I just it, that wouldn't be that way if I had redone the offseason. I think I would have done it quite a bit differently.
0: Well, and I would have, I would even append to that that I would have done it more on the perimeter than on the interior, right? We know that pressure rate is, is very much a quarterback-dependent thing, a scheme-dependent thing, and what you really can't account for now in the NFL is the lack of talent on the outside. We know that Diggs and Thielen are great, but they've really not had an explosive third option in forever. And there were plenty of opportunities there. You said Golden Tate, you know, we also, there are tight ends like Jared Cook, but they're also like Adam Humphreys was a terrific, he was worth half a win last season for Tampa Bay as their fourth receiver. There was tons of talent there. I sort of think about it as like, you look at a baseball, right? And the twins were like this forever. They had a terrible starting staff, right? And, they always made the argument. Well, you can't really sign a starting pitcher because you're going to get Irvin Santana for 15 million a year. He's going to be average. That's kind of how offensive line is. If you want to sign, you know, the best guard in free agency, it's Roger Saffold, who none of us have heard of until last season <laughs> right. when the Vikings couldn't block anybody. Right. right. So if you want to, you know, you're better off. You're going to get more bang for your buck, generating talent and value on the outside, and then scheming per. Scheming protection, scheming, you know, you know, telling, make, making sure Kirk handles pressure better. You know, the offensive line thing, like you're going to get Josh Klein, frankly, right? That's like the, that's when you try to shore up the offensive line. You know, I, I do think picking Bradbury, I mean, he's probably, he, he wasn't our best center. He wasn't a first round pick in our opinion, it was probably a blunder relative to taking a tackle, which is a more valuable position. But ultimately, I think where they really aired is the only offensive talent they added to the team was a backup running back and a backup tight end in the draft.
1: So that's an interesting point about the approach to the draft, because in my mind initially went to sort of the free agency route. And even though your point is valid about Roger Saffold still having an average or slightly above average guard there at that position, if you've got the money to spend and the Wilfs have got the money to spend and they can always find ways to finagle the cap to get those guys. So if you get Roger Saffold, you go from having one of the worst guard situations in the entire NFL to then assuming that you know you draft the center and then move Elfline to guard where I think he's going to be better. And at very least, I think Elfline's going to be better than Tom Compton was. But you go from having one of the worst guard situations to an average one, potentially, which is if, uh, I mean I don't know if I've ever used this in football before. I'm going to have to come up with a football person to use but in baseball i always use gregor blanco you ever heard of gregor (laughs) blanco Like gregor blanco won i think three world series as a starting outfielder with the san francisco giants and everyone like what gregor blanco who but the guy would hit 270 with 12 home runs and play plus defense in the outfield and bat ninth or eighth and so it'd be like okay well your eighth hitter hits 270 with 10 home runs and catches everything in the outfield if that guy a lot of teams will have star talent but they'll have some player in left field who's a below replacement level player and that hurts you a lot i think the impact of going from way way below replacement like tom compton or i guess by the actual definition a replacement level player tom compton to an average one is the same jump as average to elite i, I think,
0: think i think it's more actually i think you know when you go from so in vikings you know parlance you go from TJ Clemings to Riley Reef is a way bigger jump than going from Riley Reef to Tyron Smith, right? Because almost every single tackle is overmatched physically by the person in front of them. They're going to give up pressure, but it's the person that gives up pressure on 15% of their snaps instead of 10 that that's really going to drain you. But I, I do agree with that. The the only issue is is the Vikings it was never in the Vikings like sort of worldview to act this way. They were never not going to put money into the defense. They were never not going to get rid of the the sort of the folks that, you know, would would have been difficult to get rid of. And and so in that realm, they were never going to afford Roger Staffold, right? So that's the hard part. And so at the, but at the same time, they could have afforded like Adam Humphreys, right? They could have afforded somebody who, you know, like honestly, like it sounds stupid because the Vikings have the best receiving duo in the league, but they were talent, they were talent poor there a season ago because. You know, eventually teams could just lock down those two wide receivers I've got and they couldn't it. go to the third.
1: Jarius Wright theory. As opposed to yeah. Gregor Blanco, it's Jarius Wright. Jarius Wright had over 40
0: catches last year for the Carolina Panthers. So, you know, d- despite the fact that he was playing behind, I think he was only their fourth receiver. So, I mean, something, somebody competent like that in that position would have done the Vikings wonders, I think.
1: I think that that, that would probably solidify it in people's minds when I put it that way. Like, everyone remembers that Jarius Wright caught some big passes in 2017. He only caught 17 passes, but if I remember correctly, 13 of them were on third down. And then he came up with a big reception against the New Orleans Saints in the Miracle game that helped set up a 52 yard field goal from Kai Forbath. It's the, I think it's the exact right person to use is someone who was an average NFL player as your number 3 wide receiver. But that guy's going to do good things for you on occasion. And especially if he's behind two elite players at their position, then he is going to have an opportunity to go against lesser competition or be Mm -hmm. lined up in the slot or be used as that occasional weapon who comes up big. And Aldrick Robinson made a couple of catches. He had some touchdowns here or there. But I don't think Aldrick Robinson was anywhere near as good as Jarius Wright for what their capabilities are.
0: And they never played him as much. You know, he had the, the great first game against the Rams, but other than that, I mean, he was few and far between in terms of time right. on the field. It just seemed like they were destined to put Treadwell or yeah, put Treadwell out there and just say, you know, we're going to play eleven on ten.
1: And Treadwell is your exact like Oppo. Gregor Blanco example. Yeah. He's the guy who's so far below average, just like Tom Compton, that if any of these number three wide receivers, even Chad Beebe, if they step up and play average football, then that's a big gain. And I think that that's another expectation that the Vikings have. And why they didn't go all in on this is that Chad Beebe will be the next Jarius Wright type player. And there might be a comparison there. I don't really know yet. Like he caught what three or four passes last year. But they talk him up, and they like what they see, and then they kind of put their money where their mouth is in liking him by benching Treadwell in Week 16 to have Chad Beebe play. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest that they think he could be that Jarius Wright-type player, and if he is, then that's a big gain for them. Whether that's actually going to happen or not, I don't know. If Adam Humphrey was here or Golden Tate, then I would say I'm pretty certain that that player is going to have a significant impact and if you're robbing Peter to pay Paul because that's the situation you're in, robbing from the defense to pay the offense, I think that if you have equal value type players for what they bring to an offense versus what they bring to a defense, say that Anthony Barr brings as much as a third wide receiver, for example, mm-hmm. I think the offensive player gets you more points than the defensive player takes away, if yeah, that, that makes that,
0: sense. That's unequivocal. I Honestly, and the, the thing about defense is defense is so offense dependent right so if you run it if your schedule runs you into teams that are exploiting you know the the weaknesses of your game as a defensive player you're going to have a season that's not very good or you have an injury right injuries you know defensively you're not really allowed to sort of favor them because you are always reacting to what the other team is doing so you know with Anthony Barr he's a terrific player He deserved to get a contract somewhere. But the fact of the matter is, 2016, he was one of the worst linebackers in the NFL just a year after being one of the best. And so, you know, there's also that inconsistency issue and the fact that, as you said, the game is just far more sensitive to what offenses do than what defenses do.
1: So how good will the Vikings be? That's how we would have kind of reworked their offseason, leaning a little more Toward the offensive side, um, although let's, before we go to break, because I, I want to answer that next with you, what the numbers say about whether this team will hit the over, what is it, nine and a half, right, is the over under, or is it I eight and a half? I think it's just nine flat. Oh, it's just nine, okay, mm-hmm. so nine, will they hit the over, we'll talk about that next, and I've got a few other things to get to throughout the show, including one article that lists the Vikings as sleepers, which I just, I don't understand at all. I mean,
0: I think if you have a a quarterback paid as much as Kirk and the league's second-best defense, you're never a sleeper. It's a a
1: very odd choice. But we'll we'll discuss that as well as um, an article by Gil Brandt looking at the best teams. But I want to circle back to the best teams of the decade, that is. I want to circle back to what you said about the draft and Garrett Bradbury, because I, I think that there is a lot of excitement about Garrett Bradbury, and I understand that any offensive lineman who could come in and potentially improve this team is exciting to Vikings fans. But the one place where I would maybe pump the brakes a little bit on him is just where they took a center. It's very rare that you see anyone take a center there. And when Bradbury is discussed, he's talked about his great skill for improving run blocking. So it's sort of like you overdrafted that position to do something that isn't that important in the NFL today. And even though I really like the player... The other flawed logic is, well, he's going to improve them right away, which is a very difficult thing to do in the NFC North, where all the teams have great defensive lines.
0: Yeah, I mean, Pat Alfline was a he's a very talented player coming out of Ohio State, and he struggled it, you know, his first two years because of injuries, but also because that that schedule. Akeem Hicks, Kenny Clark, uh, Daniels from from Green Bay, you know, all these types of and now now Detroit has a pretty stacked front four with uh, Snacks Harrison and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's it's. It's not going to be easy. And as you said, running the football, I mean, this, this is like the classic example of like, you know, when teams change coaches, they change from like a disciplinarian guy like Brad Childress to a sort of softer guy like Leslie Frazier to a disciplinarian like Mike Zimmer, right? Like a season ago, you know, when you were kind of a soft offense that threw the ball a lot, you want to go back to running the football and being <laughs> tough, even though like that's not really, you didn't lose because you didn't run the ball well. You didn't get to run the ball very well because you weren't ahead in that many games. Like mm-hmm. that's like, so. It is strange, and you know, hopefully he can pass protect. it. The thing with me isn't Bradbury. It was the fact that the board landed so perfectly for the Vikings to take whatever tackle they liked, right. whatever their internal right. said. Right. The only player that was taken ahead was Jonah Williams, and you know, he's he's on IR.
1: Uh, for for the hometown Cincinnati Bengals, can, so can you imagine if that had happened to the Vikings? They oh they draft a tackle, everyone is thrilled. This is the greatest moment of our lives. They took yeah. a lineman, and then he goes on IR right away. That, yeah. that would have been a very Vikings thing to happen.
0: Yeah, and but they could have had you know any number of players that they could have traded back, you know, and accumulated picks, which they did later in the draft. But there were a number of things the Vikings could have done, and it just seemed they were desperate to get a center. And and I just think desperation often makes fools out of you know folks making decisions. So. You know that wasn't necessarily. You know, I I think he's probably going to be a pretty good player. It's just like the price they probably could have paid a lot less for him. If you
1: have any questions for Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, who is doing the entire show today here two to four on Purple Daily, feel free to give us a call six five one six four six eight two five five from the TCL Broadcast Studios. When we will return, will the Vikings hit the over this year? Which way would Eric put his money down, over or under, on the Vikings for nine wins? We will discuss.
0: our business to protect yours. Finish with two division games. This division is going to be extremely difficult, but you finish with two straight home games. You play the Packers, you beat the Packers. You play the Bears. They played the Bears earlier and they lost. They get them at home, they win and they're 11-5. Minnesota Vikings, fantastic bounce back here. Good defense. The run game is going to step up. Kirk Cousins is going to play good football. We're excited about the Vikings.
1: Uh, NFC North champs?
0: I think they're the NFC North champs. I think so. That's just my personal opinion. I might change. That would probably get it done.
1: All right, we are back here on Purple Daily. That's NFL Network saying that the Minnesota Vikings will be the NFC North champs in studio for the entire show today. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. And if you missed it, we announced at the beginning of the show that uh, from July 17th to 19th, I will be at the PFF offices doing all of our shows from down there. So we'll have the different PFF guests. And in my biased opinion, the best way to preview the NFL season, which Yeah, that's right. It actually gets started with training camp in like two weeks. So it's it's coming. It's coming for you. Uh, Before uh, the break, I brought this up. The idea of whether the Vikings would be NFC North champs and their over-unders nine wins, which I think is right exactly on the money as Vegas usually is with their over-unders making it very difficult because I picked every game as everyone does when the schedule came out and I came up with 10 wins. So how are you feeling about this over under? If I gave you say $100 of money, Eric, to bet on the Vikings, you had to go over or under, which one would you go? Uh,
0: my colleague, George is sending me a uh, 16 and oh was his, was his oh, pick. Okay. So, sure. Of course. Uh, he, he's bullish. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I I would, uh I mean, so when we simulate the season a bunch of times, the, the schedule is sort of this tough thing, right? Because the way that the NFL works, it's not a bunch of independent games, right? You have, you know, the, uh, the loss to Buffalo followed by a Thursday night in L.A., right? Like those two things are, you know, correlated to some degree. So, you know, we basically, I mean, nine is an, not a terrible number. We'd probably put it more like eight, eight and a half. Um, we, we would go under nine about 52% of the time. Uh, exactly nine, about eighteen percent of the time, and then over the rest so about thirty-one. So, so I so would. So you would be going the under. I would go the under for the second straight year. Yeah.
1: Okay, so explain that to me then, it, because I the expectation here is that the things that didn't work last year were fixed, and and even though we talked yep. about the positional value of selecting Garrett Bradbury, I don't think there he would have to be tremendously bad to play worse at center than what they got last year. Even though I like Pat Elfline. He was playing through injuries and with the division and so forth and everything else. Yep. I didn't disagree with the PFF grade that had him at the bottom of the league for centers, so that's going to improve. I think Elfline plays better left guard than Tom Compton. Yep. I, I mean, I, maybe someone emerges as a third wide receiver, but the scheme definitely should be better, and the play calling should be better, because yep. I was thoroughly underwhelmed by John D. Filippo's play calling as well. So all of those things, you only have to get one more win. And if you go back through even what they did last year, plenty of opportunities to get that one more win with slightly better play calling, slightly better blocking, slightly better kicking, for example, potentially. So how do we not come up with one more win?
0: Yeah, but you sort of look back at it and think about it differently, though. I mean, the Vikings got to play the AFC East last year. So so three of those teams should have been clear wins. And frankly, two of them were. Um, They also got to play an NFC West in, you know, they got to play San Francisco when they were sort of straight up, but they got to play Arizona. Um, and, you know, a team like Seattle was up a little bit on them and things like that. But, you know, you look at their division, Green Bay and Detroit were both down and quite a bit, you know. It, and so, you know, they got those 3.5 wins in that in that stretch. So if you look at that, we all, as you know, if you're a Vikings fan, you like to say, OK, we got better everywhere. But all these other teams also got better everywhere. And so you look at like for example, where they're starting out this season, you know they play at home against the Falcons. The Falcons were a team that you know, if they don't have their entire defensive backfield injured or probably a playoff team, and you're at home week one, that could very well be a loss. Then you go to Green Bay week two. Again, Green Bay was one of the most most dysfunctional teams a season ago. You know, you barely squeaked out of there with a tie you get home to the Raiders, probably win, but then you go to Chicago, right? Well, one in three start for the Vikings is a a possibility, right? And and so when you start out one in three, like the rest of the season is not independent of that start. It's not just losing uh, a random three out of every four games. Mm -hmm. So to me, I think like you look at that, they face the Eagles. They they face a bunch of teams that I think also their fan bases could also say all the things the Vikings fan bases do, which is like we got unlucky last season a bunch of times and we we shored up all the weak spots and we're ready to go. But that's literally every team in the NFL this season. Like it could be Detroit, for example, which was like you know basically they had two cakewalks against them last year. So that's kind of where I think we take we sort of regress every team and see how it shakes out.
1: So to this point about things that didn't go their way, um, there were definitely some that did. In fact, the, the fa- they were able to survive a lot of losses on the defensive side and still be fourth best in yards in mm-hmm. the entire NFL, ninth in points. But a lot of that is yep. pick sixes and things like that. If you remove the pick sixes, the fumbles for touchdowns, and compare it across the league, I think they were like fourth or fifth in in the total points allowed. And, and the fact that they were able to survive the loss of Anthony Barr for a couple of games, survive the loss of Trey Wayans and Xavier Rhodes, I, I think part of that was who they played a lot of the times. I mean, they had really good performances against Detroit I mean, Eric Hendricks, I think, is not playing the game against Detroit, but it didn't matter at all because they kept handing the ball to LeGarrette Blunt for some reason, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, there, there are certain things like that where, yeah, you actually kind of caught some good breaks at times, too. And the other thing that stuck out to me as I was looking through the Pro Football Focus Quarterback Annual, which is insanely in-depth and awesome, um is the fact that Kirk Cousins actually had really good numbers against pressure, or when he was pressured, which is unusual for his career. Yep. Usually against pressure, he has a pretty mediocre quarterback rating, somewhere in the 60s. And last year, it was up in the 80s, and he was yep. one of the better quarterbacks under pressure. I don't know if that's going to happen again.
0: Yeah, I mean, we know that you know Kirk talked about the fact that his play with play action was not something that's characteristic of him, but more of play action in general. Pressure is the same thing, right? We look at a lot of these pop-up seasons by quarterbacks, whether you look at 2015 Carson Palmer, you look at 2013 Josh McCown, like all those are propped up by these seasons where they got really lucky against pressure. Sam Bradford in 2016 was the same thing in his career season. So, that that's a that's bad. Like if you look at that and say, okay, that regresses more towards seventy, then he's got to be better again in clean pockets where he was only twenty second uh, in grade. So that that's a that's a good thing to point out. Here's another thing, and I, the, the NFL Network thing talked about their final two games: home against Green Bay, home against Chicago. Before that stretch, though, they go, you know, so uh, November third at Kansas City, November tenth at Dallas. They get home to Broncos, but the Broncos are no cakewalk. They have a really good defense. They have really good secondary. They got Vic Fangio, who gave them fits a season ago. Then rode at Seahawks on the 2nd of December, home against Detroit, and then on the road to the Chargers. I mean, if they win, they'd be lucky to win half of those games, right, in in this season, given what we think about all those teams. So... Uh, it's just, it's a tough schedule for them. And it's one of those things where, again, we ask the question, like, why doesn't Kirk win in primetime? Well, he's not winning in primetime because they're playing teams like Dallas in primetime. Mm-hmm. And Dallas is one of the best defenses in the NFL. So, of course, he's not going to play as well.
1: The Vic Fangio point is one that I haven't really thought of at all. And I was kind of looking at that Denver game like, <laughs> wait, Joe Flacco or yep. maybe Drew Locke at that point yep. if things don't really go well. But last year, week 17. The Chicago defense comes in with a lot of talent and a really, really smart defensive coordinator, and confounds Kirk Cousins and confounds Kevin Stefanski, and beats the Vikings in their house. And it might not be that different. Like you're right about that. Is I, I kinda, because of who's playing quarterback, I kind of just mark that down as a win and move on because it's Joe Flacco against Mike Zimmer. And usually, if you're not an elite quarterback, you're not having a great day against Mike Zimmer. But the fact that Fangio had the answers for Kirk Cousins in both of those games and is bringing back a lot of talent, that that is one that maybe we don't mark down as a guaranteed win.
0: Well, and and Denver has yeah, Denver has um, their their pass rushers right, uh, Vaughn Miller right on the turf, which we saw like you know the Buffalo Bills came into Minnesota nothing for quarterback right, but Jerry Hughes and others had a really easy time against Kirk Cousins rushing the passer on that turf right. So um, that's. You know that's just something to think about. I mean, obviously there are some things in their schedule. They get a nice little stretch there, where three out of their four games are against the Giants, against the Eagles, Lions, and then Washington. Right? That's a nice little stretch there. But they kind of have to get through that first month for that to to be you know relevant for them. So the the, the big thing here is if you're going to bet a team's over, you have you're you're essentially implicitly betting other teams unders. And when I look at the NFC North, I think Detroit's going to be better. I think I think Chicago well is not a 12 win team. I think that they're still good and going to beat up on, you know, the Minnesotas and the Green Bays of the world. And I think Green Bay has a substantial chance to be pretty good again, right? Just because Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be out there trying to prove to everybody that last season was not him. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. he's that kind of prideful person. So and in, in in addition to be one of the best one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So that's like to me, I just think like in that division it's really hard for me to point at one of the teams and say that's a 10 win team.
1: is the phone number if you have a question for Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus in studio for the show. In about 25 minutes, we will have a Zolgad in here for Hot Routes, which I am really excited about our Hot Routes today. I want to get to this article that uh, Bucky Brooks wrote for uh, NFL.com. And I just got to say that I love the fact that Bucky Brooks is like a media (laughs) member because I just remember... Bucky Brooks having this huge preseason game for the bills in the '90s, and then, you know, just bouncing exactly. around to teams. I think he played defensive back at one point for Green Bay, so just a great random name, Bucky Brooks. But he wrote this big article for NFL.com, and I'm kind of baffled by it. He wrote the sleeper teams in the NFL: Atlanta, Green Bay, Minnesota, Pittsburgh and Jacksonville. Are any of those teams actual sleepers to you? I mean, Jacksonville, maybe, because they had such a poor season last year. But Pittsburgh, I feel like Pittsburgh and Green Bay, because of NFL history, can never be called sleepers. They're going to have a ton of attention. They have all-time great quarterbacks. How exactly, when you have Hall of Fame quarterbacks, can you say that anyone is a sleeper? The Vikings were a team that last year would have been in everyone's Super Bowl or bus team. The Falcons pick I like, though. And I guess the Jacksonville one mildly, but I'm just not really sold on Doug Marone as always. Yeah, who are the actual? So we agree that like you can't really be the Packers and be a sleeper in the National Football League. So who who should be the actual sleeper teams in the NFL?
0: Yeah, I think a couple from the NFC that I that I really like. I like Tampa Bay. You know, Bruce Arians is a guy I think we both respect. I think Jameis Winston, somebody who while he's had his issues as a person, um, I think like in terms of a fit that's a perfect fit. If anybody's going to get Jameis Winston's best season, it's going to be Bruce Arians. And then I also think, you know, as much as, you know, as much as we might not like the things that they're saying, oftentimes I think they're a smokescreen. I think the Detroit Lions, you know, the Detroit Lions got better in a lot of important places this offseason. Their wide receivers got healthy. Um, Their defensive front, you know, added Trey Flowers, who's a really good player. At slot, they added Justin Coleman from uh, the Seattle Seahawks in one of the most important positions. You add him to Darius Slay, who's one of the best corners, uh, in the NFL one of the more underrated guys and I think that that defense is going to be pretty good especially Matt Patricia who was a you know good there uh with New England Matthew Stafford's always a player I think is dangerous right and that offense uh if they can get on a roll um will you know put put themselves in position to get in that 8-9 win range so I think on I think in the I think in the you know the NFC those those teams are 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 pretty good sleepers and I think in the AFC you know you do have to think of somebody like like Jacksonville because you know, they were just on the precipice last season. Right. And then they come back down and then Nick Foles, I think Nick Foles is going to, he's never going to give the Jacksonville Jaguars an eight and eight season, but he's going to give them a bunch of four and 12 and 12 and four seasons, which, (laughs) you know, pick your pick, which one you want this year. And that's kind of like going to be what it's going to be. You know, so You know, there are some other teams I, you know, I often mention the Bengals because the math sometimes likes them, but I just can't see it with my eyes. So I, I probably will relent there.
1: You know what's weird is last year, we just didn't really have sleepers last year. That succeeded. I don't think usually there's a couple of teams that going into that Chicago. Season,
0: Chicago was yeah for of.
1: for a twelve and four. Yeah. I don't think we would have said twelve and four. But I remember even anybody who was paying close attention to their off season. You hire a coach from the Chiefs. You add a ton of talent around Mitch Trubisky. It's year two for a young quarterback. They usually take mm-hmm. a step forward, and then the defense adds Khalil Mack. As soon as they added Khalil Mack, they were not sleepers anymore. I, right. I think. And you go through the rest of the league, and, I mean, Seattle and Los Angeles, New Orleans, Dallas and Philly, like, these these just—Kansas City, these teams, I I think that the better teams just rose to the top for the most part. Maybe Baltimore would have been a mild sleeper, but you never count out Baltimore with John Harbaugh as your coach. And when I look at this year, I think that there's a lot more potential for sleeper teams to surprise us, I guess. When when I look at, you know, you mentioned Tampa Bay and Detroit— we would be picking those just based off kind of what we saw last year as some of the worst teams maybe yeah. in the NFL, because Tampa is just consistently bad, <laughs> and Jameis Winston is kind of a messy player. Um, even for all the good that he does, he equals it out with yes. bad, with interceptions and fumbles and sacks and all that. And Detroit, Matt Patricia looked last year like one of the most inept coaches yes. that I can remember, and. I mean, a guy who halfway through the year trades Golden Tate because they're not getting along. And and, trades
0: for a run stopper. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even though, you know, Snacks Harrison is a great player, it's still like a very bizarre choice to, like, wait, are you trying to win? Are you not trying to win? Like, what are you doing here? You're trading away Golden Tate.
0: One team, and again, I don't know if this qualifies, but like the Colts, I think, were a good sleeper. Their over under was like six and a half, seven they started 1 in five and 5 then they but they have a quarterback right and the right. the only question was is whether Andrew Luck was going to be as good as he was previously to to look at the AFC though you really look at some of these teams and the the key ingredient to all of them is the quarter does the quarterback emerge right so if you look at like some bad teams you look at the Broncos right you basically need Drew Luck to start and to be really good you look at the Jets you need Sam Darnold to be really good you look at the Bills like I don't have faith in the Jets or the Bills they're mm-hmm. you know their Vegas over unders are a lot higher than they were last year, but I don't think they deserve them. But again, it's it's which one of these young quarterbacks is actually going to emerge and be one of the next great great signal callers in the league? And I just don't see it right. Maybe a team, maybe Tennessee would be a team with a you know a veteranish quarterback, uh, you know. But I just I don't I don't necessarily see it there. So I I agree. I think the AFC it's pretty much you know the New England Patriots, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chargers, the Colts, and then maybe Pittsburgh, and then. Maybe, you know, the Cleveland Browns and then everybody else.
1: Is there a good quarterback comparison? And I don't mean it, the comparison is good. I mean a good player comparison that you could think of ever to Josh Allen. I can't think of anybody who had such horrendous stats in college for not a great team. And anyone with this type of skill set that is just a monster arm and he can run really well yeah. who has ever succeeded and had a, a ton of great success anywhere.
0: It's so hard because, you know, you look back at historical college stats and guys like Brett Favre, and they didn't have great college stats. Yeah. But we were talking about 20, 30 years right. ago. Same
1: with Marino and, and his senior season where he threw a lot of picks.
0: Yeah. But nowadays, I mean, you're talking, I mean, honestly, the best comp for Josh Allen is Jake Locker, who flamed out of the league and, frankly, was like seemed like a great guy, was a good locker room presence and all that kind of stuff, but really sucked. So, like, <laughs> you know, you're you're yes, really not going to have – You're not going to have, I mean, you really have to, so think about like with somebody like Kyler Murray or somebody like Baker Mayfield, they made, they literally completed like 70% of their passes in college. And we have all these questions about like, oh, was it the scheme? Was it his height? Blah, blah, blah. Josh Allen throws the ball into the stands and we just love him because of how he looks. Right. (laughs) It's, it's really ridiculous. So, I mean, I don't have a lot of faith for him. I also think he had about as good of an outcome as a rookie, as you could expect. So I think if you're a Bills fan, you really do have to brace for the worst here because you're not the guy's not going to run for 7 yards carry again. Right? right? It's yeah. going to
1: People will be prepared for
0: it. Exactly. And so they're going to dare him to throw against them and it's not going to be pretty. I the Jets have a far better chance of being good than the Bills and I think both teams are going to be pretty pretty bad.
1: Six five one six four six eight two five five. if you would like to jump on and uh, Eric said that the numbers lean toward betting the under with the Vikings um Do you think that that's crazy? I think most Vikings fans, and I judge this by um, just, you know, Twitter for the most part. I think most Vikings fans are thinking that the over is going to happen, but they always brace themselves for not. (laughs) This is kind of the general disposition of the Vikings. So if you've got a take on that, uh, feel free to drop in. Gil Brandt, the legendary Gil Brandt, made his top 10. Teams of the decade. I want to run those by you, Eric Eager. Uh, when we return, you are listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Uh, one thing we're doing here at Score North, it's called Minnesota Sports Rewind. It's something new that you can download from scorenorth.com, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. It's a podcast where Score North personalities go back in time, do deep dives into some of the most prominent moments. In Minnesota sports history, including Twins and Tigers game 163, Twins and A's from the 2002 ALDS, Kevin Love's 30-30 and 30 game, and Kevin Garnett's dominating Game 7 against Sacramento. It's called Minnesota Sports Rewind, and again, you can find it on scorenorth.com, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the boys on Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I know we got a few more of those that we're working on as well that are very exciting, the uh, Minnesota Sports Rewinds. Matthew Collar, Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus is in studio here for today's show. I have not had a single hot route in my life since last Tuesday, so I was like, you know, with the dog in the backyard running quick slants and stuff over the weekend.
0: Are Are you in favor of the, the clapping, right? The clapping with the hands? Oh, sure. Or yeah, the, yeah, sure. Or are you just a set hut guy?
1: Uh, I like the, uh, the high leg kick, you know, when they're yeah. the silent count, high yeah. leg kick, you know, they think they've got it figured out and then you change it up a little bit. So now it's three leg kicks instead of one or whatever. Yeah. Um, I play a game with the dog where she goes and starts munching on grass. So then I chase her down and I say, stop munching on the grass. So then she runs over to this hole that she dug and puts herself in it. And then I run over to her and say, stop digging. And then she sprints around the yard a bunch of times. It's great.
0: That's, gotcha. That's
1: basically all I did over the weekend. It was not uh, an exciting time. Sounds exciting. Yet. So really? I'm no, I'm really ready for hot rods. Okay, what good. I'm telling you. Good. Good. So Gil Brandt of NFL.com and just lots of football fame, right? With Dallas going back mm-hmm. in the day, uh, he made his top ten list of the uh, teams of the decade. And let me just give you the top five here: 2013 Seattle, 2015 Carolina Panthers. 2017 Eagles, 2016 Patriots, and 2013 Broncos. And what the mentions say in response to this is wait a minute, you have teams that did not win the Super Bowl in your top yeah, 5. Yeah. That's kind of weird. What what is your what is your opinion on on this list? Cuz it, it struck me as kind of bizarre, but when you look at the 2015 Panthers team, I know they lost in the Super Bowl. But offensively, they had the MVP of the league. Defensively, they had one of the best defenses in the NFL. I think that's justifiable just because a team didn't win the final game in which, you know, the Super Bowl stadium didn't put down very good sod and the fullback fumbled, right? Didn't Mike Tolbert have a really bad fumble in that game that cost them?
0: Well, Mike Remmers was trying to block Von Miller, right?
1: Also a problem. Yes, we know all about that. I think it's justifiable, and I I agree with the number one team being the 2013 Seahawks. Unbelievable number one defense. Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch in his prime. It's hard to argue with.
0: One of the rare defenses that carried for multiple seasons in a row. um, When we looked at you know our like power rating or whatever, I went back over the last decade and took you know which teams were the best, and honest and actually interestingly. A team that didn't win the Super Bowl, the 2014 Seahawks were actually our top mm. uh, in terms of our power rating, um, which you can see on ProFootballFocus.com as the season goes on. But like, essentially, that team—you look at that—they had a 10-point lead on the Patriots in the th- in the second half, came back, they you know throw an interception. Like, you think about how random this is. Like, they're a Super Bowl-winning team if you know Brandon Browner doesn't jam Ricardo Lockett. And Sorry, then, if
1: they give it to Marshawn, if mean. they
0: give it to Mar yeah, or you're, they, you're
1: not a truther on that play, are you?
0: Uh, no, I think they i they should have ran a better pass play. I, I think our the founder of our company, Neil Hornsby, went back and looked at the that particular play, and Seattle had one successful play on that route hmm. in six tries all season. So they weren't even good at that play. So I'm more of I'm more of sort of like, yeah, give it to Marshawn, but also just like run a better play.
1: My issue was, Marshawn was killing everyone. Yeah, He was taking bodies that game. It's like, I I understand that usually passing at the goal line is a good play, and you rarely throw interceptions. I bet if you looked for all last year, interceptions inside the five was like a couple.
0: There was like ten in the whole league, and nine of them were Kirk Cousins.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, But... When Marshawn is taking bodies, he can't be stopped. Yeah. You give it to the man who can't be stopped, as opposed to throwing it to your number three wide receiver. It's it, to me, it was always about the personnel. It was who are you throwing it toward? Because if that's say Doug Baldwin or an elite wide receiver, if it's Randy Moss, then he gets a piece of that ball. Like that's not intercepted. He doesn't let a guy just come up and basically bump him off the spot and pick off the pass. Like, no way he does that, or he gets a sense for where that guy's coming from. You're throwing it to someone who's not even a great football player to try and win the Super Bowl. Well, Give that, it to Marshawn,
0: and that's one of the so. In this discussion, it it the one of the most impressive things, but also one of the more overlooked things in this particular discussion was that that 2014 Seahawks went into that Super Bowl with none of their active receivers were drafted. Oh yeah. That's so right. so then that's right. so again, right. it sort of like underscores the fact that like if you're throwing the ball on average is probably the better play, but if you have a bunch of undrafted players and your mm-hmm. best player is more of a small guy that's not going to you know big body in the red zone type of thing, it might be you know it it also it also underscores the fact that that Dante Hightower tackle was one of the best in league history. Marshawn Lynch was the head of steam and he basically plastered him at the mm-hmm. one yard line to sort of preserve that. But yeah, and we had the Seahawks second. 2013 Seahawks were second. 2016 New England, third. That team should have lost the Super Bowl. 2011 uh, New England lost the Super Bowl. Philly from 17. New England from 17. Um, New England from 14, and then New Orleans from 2018. So New Orleans last season, because of a bad call, doesn't even make the Super Bowl, but is one of the better uh, teams in in our history, followed by Green Bay 2010 and then Denver 2015.
1: It is the one thing in Minnesota sports where, with that Eagles team, you look at it as a classic Vikings meltdown or something like that, but when you take a look back at what that team had roster top to bottom and the fact that their backup quarterback was capable of doing that they were so deep and talented on that team that was already good, and you bring Elshon Jeffrey into the mix, one of the best offensive lines, if not the best in the NFL. Yep. I mean, they deserve to be one of the top teams on this list. And then the fact that they had about eight good defensive linemen on that team as well.
0: Yeah. Well, and they were also hurt. Trent, uh, their left tackle, Jason Peters, was out. Their quarterback, Carson Wentz, was out. Uh, Darren Sproles, one of the best multipurpose backs in the league, was out. Jordan Hicks, their best, you know, their linebacker, was out. Um, they were not at full strength. So if I'm viewing this as a Vikings fan, I'm looking at that game and saying, well, if that team can beat the Vikings by that much, it really wasn't in the cards for the Vikings because the Vikings were healthy on defense, healthy mostly on offense, uh, and still couldn't get it done.
1: We have Hot Routes coming up next. We will have a Zolgad in here. It was your request. You said you'd come in the studio and you would do this show for two hours today only if you could do Hot Routes with Judd Zolgad.
0: I don't remember requesting that, but it will go with it. All right. You, you didn't really.
1: But anyway, Zulgad uh, <laughs> will be in. We'll have some fun when we return. I have um, some, some good questions, I think, for Hot Routes. We will be back here. You are listening to Purple Daily. Eric Eager for Pro Football Focus in studio on Score North.
0: Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar.